this might surprise some of you, but I went through a phase growing up where I loved country music. So I loved listening to guys like Toby Keith and guys like Randy Travis, and I especially liked a guy named Rodney Atkins. And Rodney Atkins, he came out with a CD, and I pretty much memorized every song on that CD. And one of the songs on that CD is called Watching You. And it's sung by the perspective of the son to the dad. And I'm going to sing the lyrics. No, I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm going to tell you what the lyrics are uh, because I, I just love this song. Here's what the son would sing to his dad. I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat, eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do because I've been watching you. And I love that song because it reminds me of my relationship with my dad and how growing up, I looked to my dad. I looked up to him. And so a lot of the things that I do today and the things that I like today are because I was looking at my dad and since I looked at him, that formed me into who I am today. So for example, my dad, he really liked watching some of these like adventure movies, things like Con Air, things like that. I like watching those movies because my dad liked watching those movies. My mom and dad, they like to play slow pitch softball. I grew up at a slow pitch softball field. And today, and actually give them credit, a couple years ago, they got back out there. I was like, mom, dad, you guys are awesome. I hope someday when I'm your age, I'm out there playing softball. But today, I like playing slow-pitch softball probably because I saw my dad and mom playing slow-pitch softball. My dad also, when he blows his nose, it sounds like there's a tornado going through Kansas. And when I blow my nose, it sounds like there's a zoo in New Berlin and we have an elephant in New Berlin at the county fairs. Uh, My dad, he, he loves hugs. He loves being a hugger. And so he's always hugging people. And so I'm a hugger too. In fact, COVID was terrible for me because I just wanted to give people hugs and tell them it was going to be all right. And my dad, he loved hugs so much, he was famous for what he called the Hinnon hugs, where he would give you a hug and then he'd just squeeze the daylights out of you as hard as he could. And he squeezed so hard one time, he, he popped my wife's sister's ribs out of place when we were, when we were kids. So uh, he does that. And so today, I still also give out some hidden hugs, especially when our youth kids are messing around too much. I just give them a nice little hug and just squeeze all that bad acting and character out of them until they start acting right. I am very similar to my dad in a lot of ways because growing up, my eyes were focused on him. I looked up to him. What about you? Who did you look to? Because whether we like it or not, who we look to formed who we became And who we are looking to now will form who we become in the future. Because what our eyes focus on forms us. Today we're starting a brand new series, sermon series, called Bodies That Worship. And it's inspired from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so in view of everything that God has done for you, in view of his sacrificial death on the cross, in view of him resurrecting you into new life, in view of his mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true 
and proper worship. So Paul instructs us here to worship God with everything we have, which includes our bodies. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can specifically worship God using our bodies going through different psalms. So how we can worship God with our eyes. And next week, J.K. Jones will have a guest preacher. He's going to be talking about how we can worship God with our hearts. And then how we can worship God with our mouths and our hands and our feet and our souls. And so today, we're going to focus on how to worship God with our eyes. And this is an important topic. Actually, it's so important that Jesus talks about this in his most famous sermon. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he tells them this about the eye. He says this, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Just let that verse sink in for a moment. Yes, that came from the mouth of Jesus. If your right eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. A lot of people say that Jesus is being hyperbolic here. He's exaggerating a little bit, and he's trying to be funny. And I think he is too, but I also think he's trying to make a point. And he's being honest. If your eye is going to cause you to sin, if your eye is going to form you into a person that does not act like Jesus, then gouge it out. Because it's better for you to be in heaven without an eye than to be in hell with both eyes. Our eyes are serious because what we focus on forms us. And so today, we are going to be looking at Psalm 123 to guide us in how to use our eyes well and worshiping God. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them to Psalm 123. That should be right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And while you're turning there, I want to draw your attention to uh, our stage decor up here. Uh, Look at those googly eyes right there. We had our Encore kids make that. So if you see a kid... uh, tell them thank you. And so each week they're going to help decorate our stage for, uh, for the different series. So today's eyes, next, uh, next week will be heart. And so make sure to tell a kid thank you. So, uh, but a little bit of context of Psalm 123. Psalm 123 is considered a psalm of ascents, which just means of a going up. And the reason they called it this is because it was believed that uh, the the God's people would go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was one of the highest cities in Israel. It was the holy city. And so uh, God's people would journey to Jerusalem for worship festivals. And so as they would go up there, they would read these songs and pray these prayers from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. It was literally a psalm of ascents, a psalm of going up. But a lot of people have also noted that this is not just a literal journey, this is a a metaphor for our journey with God. We continue to take our next steps forward, our next steps up, even when we are frustrated, even when we're in pain, even when we have joys. We continue to take our next step up because at the end of our journey, we will be closer to God. And so this is one of those psalms, a psalm of ascent, Psalm 123. And while we're, we're going to read the whole thing together, it's just four verses, but while we read it, I want you to make note of anything that has to do with the eyes. So anytime you see eyes or behold or looking, because these four verses focus a lot of attention on our eyes. So let's go ahead and read it together. Uh, Psalm 123, a song of ascents. 
To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Psalm 123. So as we look at this psalm, I want us to be asking the question, how do we worship God with our eyes? How do we worship God with our eyes? And I think two main ideas come from the psalm. The first is this, that we focus our eyes on God, our master. We focus our eyes on God, our master. Verse 1 says this, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. So this sounds a whole lot like the Lord's Prayer, where we begin by praying, Our Father who art in heaven. Our God is the one who is enthroned in heaven as our king. I love what Eugene Peterson says. He's an, an author, and he says this, If God is worth our attention at all, he must, be a God, uh, he must be a God we can look up to, a God we must look up to. If God is worth our attention at all, He must be a God who is enthroned in the heavens, who is holy and different and transcendent and beyond us in every single way. To worship God with our eyes, we focus our eyes on this majestic God who is our master. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet back in the 700s before Christ, and that's when he did most of his prophetic ministry. But in Isaiah chapter 6, he is given a glimpse of God's glory. God is sitting on the throne, and Isaiah, he gets a glimpse. He sees his feet, and he is completely undone. Here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This holy, transcendent God is the God that we focus our attention on. We focus our eyes on God, our Master, because what we focus our eyes on forms us. Verse 2 continues this idea. Verse 2 says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. The psalmist here gives us an illustration of a servant waiting for her master's and his master's mercy. Now when we read this psalm, often we can read it through a 21st century eye. And we can get caught up in words like servant, slave, master. And I'm not saying we shouldn't get there, but I'm saying we shouldn't get there first. Because what the psalmist wants us to see is that these servants are looking with expectation to experience mercy. To experience God's mercy. I was talking to a friend of mine about five years ago, a very close friend of mine. And we were talking about his journey with Jesus. And he was telling me that he believed in God. He believed that Jesus had died on the cross and that he had even risen from the dead. And I was like super excited about this. I was like, oh my goodness, 
So, like, do you want to follow Jesus as your master and king? Why don't you just be baptized? And he stopped me right there, and he said, I don't like thinking about God as my master. I don't like thinking about God as my master. And our conversation was over. Maybe that's how some of you feel. You don't like thinking about God as your master because you know that if God is your master, that means you're going to have to give something up. That means that God is going to call you to do something that you probably don't want to do. And you're right. Because we follow a crucified Savior, a Savior who calls us to die to ourselves daily. It's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. But what we can easily miss is that just like the psalmist wants us to see that these servants are looking to their master for mercy, we are looking to the most merciful master We have the most merciful master, and his name is Jesus. Our master was willing to take on flesh and blood to become like us in every way. And he came to earth to heal the hurting, to give sight to the blind, to comfort those in pain, to die on the cross for you and for me so that we might experience mercy, so that we might experience new life. We have the most masterful, we have the most merciful master whose name is Jesus. And so we focus our eyes on him. Hebrews chapter 12 is probably the New Testament parallel to Psalm 123. And Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So just pause right there and recognize that, yes, this journey with Jesus is going to be hard and there's going to be things that tangle us up and there's going to be sins that are holding us back. But the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, get rid of those things and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's keep running. If you're in cross country or in track, maybe you need to memorize that verse. Let us keep running the race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are reminded here. We are urged here to fix our eyes on Jesus, to constantly look to him because he is our most merciful master. And we find from these verses that Jesus had his eyes set on the cross which means that his eyes were set on us. His eyes were set on you, and his eyes were set on me. When he was headed to the cross, he knew what he was doing because he loved you. He died for you, and so we set our eyes to him, our merciful master, because what we focus on forms us. So let me just ask you honestly, What are you focusing on most? What are you focusing your eyes on most? Is it your phone? Is it my phone? The average phone user, get this, touches their phone 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day. And I'll bet you the younger generation does it more than that. So is it my phone? Is it a mirror? Maybe not a physical mirror that you're looking into, but more of like a social media mirror. 
where all you care about is getting likes or comments or views on your page? Are you just building up this image of yourself and that's all you care about? Is that what you're focusing your eyes on most? Is it a computer or TV screen? Are you constantly gaming? Are you constantly Netflix binging? Are you watching things you probably shouldn't watch? Are you looking at pornography? What are your eyes focusing on most? Because what our eyes focus on forms us. But thankfully, Psalm 123 invites us to redirect our gaze to where it should be on Jesus, our merciful master. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey today, if you have doubts, look to Jesus. If you have pain, look to Jesus. If you are in a moment of joy, look to Jesus because what our eyes focus on forms us and we desperately need to be a people who worship God. We worship God by focusing our eyes on God, our master, personified in Jesus Christ. So that's the first half of the psalm. The second half of the psalm We worship God by focusing on God's mercy all around us. We worship God by focusing on God's mercy all around us. Verses 3 and 4 say this. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. So the psalmist here is frustrated. So frustrated, in fact, that he throws up his hands and he says, I'm done. You ever been there in an argument before? I'm done with this. I'm out of here. But the psalmist isn't just talking about an argument. He's talking about his life. He feels in so much frustration, so much pain, so much desperation. And yet here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't just throw up his hands and say, I'm I'm done with you, God. He doesn't say that he's giving up on this journey with God. Instead, he turns to the Lord, he looks to the Lord, and he expects mercy. He eagerly expects mercy, and he prays, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. He's looking for mercy. And I want to encourage us to look for God's mercy too. To take the psalmist's example and live that out in our own Lives. Because have you ever noticed that when you're looking for something, you can often find it. And now some of you are like, no, I can't find my keys. No, just hold on. When I find my keys, I can't find my phone. I can't find anything. No, no, no. I mean like, for example, I bought a Nissan Altima or got a Nissan Altima when I was in college. Car new to me. Before that, I had seen a couple Nissan Altimas. But after I got that Nissan Altima, it was like everywhere I went was full of Nissan Altimas. You ever had that experience before? The reason is not because I'm a trendsetter and all these people wanted to follow me and get a Nissan Altima. No, the reason is because my eyes had seen it and now I could recognize them all around. And I think the same is true of God's mercy. If we are looking for God's mercy, we will be able to see it all around us. And thankfully, the Psalms are pretty practical for ways that we can look for God's mercy. And so I'm going to take a step back from Psalm 123, and I'm going to look at three different Psalms because I think they show us how we can expect God's mercy, how we can look around and see God's mercy. And the first is that we can see God's mercy 
in our stories, in our stories. So Psalm 54, 7 says this, For he, talking about God, has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. So here the psalmist is saying very literally, God has delivered him from his enemies. And as Jesus followers, three of the greatest enemies in the world have been defeated by what Jesus has done on the cross. Sin, death, and Satan all have been defeated. And so have you reflected on your story and how God's mercy has taken you from death into life? Or have you reflected on God's mercy in some of the most broken parts of your story? I know that for some of you, this probably means you will need to talk to a Christian counselor about your brokenness in your past. But even there, in our darkest moments, in the darkest points of our stories, if we look close enough, we can see God's mercy even there. I know reflecting on my own darkness, I can see friendships that were formed, bad habits that were destroyed, identities that were misplaced, put back on Christ, even in those dark moments. God's mercy is present even there in our past. So we can see God's mercy in our stories if we look for it. Secondly, we can see God's mercy in his word, in his word, the Bible. Psalm 19.8 says this, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word helps us to see rightly. God's word, the more we immerse ourselves in God's word, helps us to see the world from God's perspective and to see God's mercy all around us. So let me just ask you, how often are you digging into God's word? How often are you? Now, when people ask this question, a lot of times it's to just bash you upside the head with the Bible and, or to compare yourselves with other people. So uh, that only leads to two horrible things. The first is envy, like I'm envious of how much someone else reads their Bible, or I'm prideful because I read my Bible more than you. Those, those are pretty much the two things that happen if you start comparing yourself to other people. But the Christian journey is all about a relationship with the Father. And if it's about a relationship, we have to hear from our Father. And that's what's so important and powerful about God's Word, is that the more we read God's Word, the more we see the world the way that He does. The more we can see His mercy all around us. It's kind of like putting on a new pair of glasses. Now, these glasses right here, these are my uh, blue light glasses. So I, I actually do uh, put these on over my glasses when I'm on the computer and look like an idiot. Um, but I put them on because I was working on so much stuff, looking at a computer screen, it was starting to hurt my eyes. It was giving me headaches. And so I said, you know what? Can't help. Ten bucks. Let me just buy a couple pairs. And, and when I put these on, thankfully, they actually helped me. I don't know if they scientifically, scientifically work. I don't know. Maybe they got a placebo effect. It works for me. So I'm going to keep wearing them. Anyways, When I put them on, my perspective changes. My vision changes. There's a yellowish hint to the world, and I can see outlines differently than I could before. I think as we immerse ourselves in God's stories, the same thing happens. It changes the way we see the world, and we are able to see God's mercy all around us. One of the things that I've been doing recently to try and uh, intake more Bible 
is, uh, called a, is an app called Lectio 365. And the reason uh, I needed to start doing this is because I realized that once I got here to this building, I was just like in go, go, go mode. So I was just going all the time. And I realized that I was never slowing down to look for God's mercy. And what happens when I'm in a rush is I'm more sinful, I'm more impatient, and I don't pray nearly as often. And so what this app has allowed me to do is every day at lunch, I listen to this five to ten minutes, and I'll just walk around this church campus. And it helps me to slow myself down and to begin looking for ways that God is working all around here. And so I want to encourage you, maybe this is an app for you, or maybe the YouVersion Bible app, whatever it is, as long as it's getting you to intake more Bible, I truly believe that God's word will help change our perspective, and we will be able to see God's mercy all around us. So that's the second way, through his word, and lastly, through his world. We can see God's mercy through his world. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4 says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? God's mercy is all around us if we would look for it. I love this quote from the novel that's now been turned into a movie called The Color Purple. In this movie, The Color Purple, there are two African-American women, one named Celie, one named Shug, and they are walking through a purple flower field. And Shug says to Celie this, I think it frustrates God if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. I think it frustrates God if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. Her point is that God has created so many wonderful and beautiful things out of his love and mercy for us to enjoy. The problem is we're so often too busy to notice them. We're often too busy to notice him. And so my challenge for you this week is to slow down and focus your eyes on Jesus, our merciful master, and to look around to see God's mercy all around you, because what we focus our eyes on forms us, and we desperately want to be a people who worship. We need to be bodies that worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you have given us uh, new eyes, and so we pray that you would help us to see the ways that you are working all around us. Help us, Lord, to see your spirit and the way that you're moving. I pray for anyone out there, Lord, if, if you're stirring in their hearts, help them to take that next step with you, Jesus, to fix their eyes on you no matter where they're at in their spiritual journey with you. We love you, Lord, for always revealing yourself to us. Help us to see, we pray. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.